1: And even though we just got together in this teaching a couple weeks ago, I always like to give a little bit of a recap because it's, it's usually a little bit of time between the teachings. Uh, the last time we saw Job's uh, suffering really express itself in his conversation uh, with his friends, uh, especially Eliphaz, who really... A lot of the counsel that he gave to Job was not very helpful. And so we see Job here in his complaining about that uh, to Eliphaz. And they really didn't relieve his anguish at all, so far, as far as we see in this converse, the conversations that he has with them. But we also generally get a better understanding of the role of empathy in our lives and in the lives of our loved ones. And we know how important that is to just to the healing process of, of somebody who's going through a really difficult time or somebody had, who had a tragedy in their life, um, that we want to offer empathy and we, we desire it in return when we're going through difficult things. So um, that understanding, that compassion... Uh, Somebody can uh, really sense what you're going through and offer um, some comfort to you and how important that was. Uh, We didn't see that really in, in what Job's friends brought to him. And we knew that there was something off, there was something missing. We also saw Job really perplexed and questioning God and wondering why he, it seemed like God was so unkind and unfair to him in his dealings with Job. Remember, uh, and we, we're going to talk about this throughout the book, remember Job uh, doesn't have the word of God, the revelation of the word to, uh, to bring into his sufferings. Um, we do. And we still question God. We still question His ways. And so, I think before we, um, before we uh, question Job, realize that he didn't have all of that. You know, he had uh, whatever revelation God gave to him, and then uh, he had these conversations, as we'll see later in the book, with God, um, to kind of get clarity in those kinds of things. But we question too. We question. We question God. We and we, you know, we're enlightened, right? In the 21st century, we have all this technology and all this understanding and knowledge, and yet we still can question those things. And we see Job's emotions kind of laid bare before us in this book. We see, you know, just his 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 mindset, and a lot of times is just really. He's depressed, and we see that he, he, the, the Bible does not uh, shelter us from that and I think that's good I think it's good that we see that that we see that people suffer and that they their emotions just um, sometimes uh, are just laid out there and uh, when we go through a difficult thing we know uh, we know how we feel and our emotions sometimes can do that, that same thing um, But we also see kind of Job's worldview. And it does change throughout this book. Um, But we see kind of where he's at right now and how his worldview and his view of God affected his response to his own plight. And again, like Job, um, all of us look at this world and look at God in the, in the midst of our circumstances and the events and the trials that we go through, through different lenses. And that can also change over time. Uh, we can grow and we can learn. And we, and, um, and so the way we look at God, the way we look at the world, and how God uh, interacts with us in the midst of our, our uh, trials especially, um, we see in different ways. So before we jump into chapter seven, I kind of want to lay a little bit of uh, foundation here um, for this because we're going to see in the first few chapters we kind of got we, we kind of got a picture of what Job was going through. It was more facts. Uh, now we're starting to see um, more of in his heart in in Job's in Job's heart in his innermost being and we also see his friends and how they interact. So I think it's more of a relational thing now as we f- as we go through the rest of this book. So I think it's important for us to lay a foundation here. And I'm just going to take about 5 minutes to do that. And um you know, it may be it may be it may seem complicated and it is still to me but I'm going to try to lay something out here for us to to grab onto and take with us throughout the rest of this book. So, uh, depending on how we see God and how God re and how God responds, uh, or how we view His response to the things in our life, uh, and especially in the context of our day to day struggle, it will change the way we see the world. It will change the way we see our circumstances, and uh, there there. There are probably many different ways to look at this, but three that I'm going to touch on now is fatalism, chance, and predestination. Three things. And I kind of got a little bit of this based on um, some research I was doing on the internet, and uh, gotquestions.org dot, dot actually breaks this down a little bit. and we uh, Sometimes we'll mention that website, and it seems to be pretty solid, very balanced, uh, a little bit leaning more on the conservative side. So. It it seems to go along with our basic um, philosophy here at Calvary Chapel. So, first, fatalism. So, fatalism teaches that there's an aimless, impersonal force uh, over which no one has control, not even God, and that events are kind of swept along like the rapids by this blind, purposeless power. And there's nothing that anybody can do about it. Um, and it just, everything just happens. And today, um, I know some people might call that the universe. If you hear some, sometimes people will say, oh, the universe guided me to this job or to this place to live or whatever. And we know that that view kind of takes God completely out of the equation when it comes to the events of our life. It also does something very interesting, which is why I think a lot of people. Um, lean in this, in this way, it takes personal responsibility out of the equation also. Fatalism really um, is the true philosophical cop-out. And, um, and we, see, we see that expressed in the Bible through a few different people. Solomon had that viewpoint at times as we read through, especially Ecclesiastes, which we did a study on last year. Uh, Job also has this worldview, this viewpoint um, of fatalism uh, various times recorded throughout this book. So that's one thing. Then the other thing that we look at, the the second one would be chance or fortune. And it's basically just things just happen luckily without any rhyme or reason. And in this worldview, um, God can foresee what will happen um, but that's it. Everything depends basically on mere luck. And um, if somebody advocates this worldview, you, you may ask them why or how things come to pass, and he'll say, it just happened. It just by chance. Nobody really knows. And it seems like at times, and even in times in this chapter, we see Job in this worldview. Um, he believes God exists. But he's not really able to take control of the events or direct events in his life. And in Job's Job's mind, of course, going through all this suffering, he figures, well, if God could, then he wouldn't find himself in this awful state of affairs. So we can understand where Job is coming from when he has this type of worldview. And I think, um, I know that Job... And others like him, and even today, sometimes we, we have this state, we, ad, we omit something very crucial in this point of view. And that is that in a sinful, fallen world, bad things are going to happen. Sometimes God may intervene. Now, we may not even see it. You know, it might be that car accident that we didn't get into, that happened just before us a few seconds Before, And it may have been God's hand on that, stepping in and intervening. But sometimes trials and tribulations come into our life because it's a sinful, fallen world. And this world is broken. So that's that's the second one. The, The third one is predestination. And this is more of a biblical term, predestination. And this is a biblical doctrine that says that God is behind the events in our life, And there's a purpose behind every single thing that he does or allows. And he's working things out according to this plan and purpose. And it teaches that God neither does or permits anything except those things that serve his purpose. And I think that, as Christians, that's really where we need to be, understanding that God doesn't necessarily directly, um, you know, cause certain things, but He knows, with His foreknowledge, He understands and knows that certain things will happen and that there's a purpose in everything. We speak of predestination in the church a lot of times, um, speaking in terms of God's foreknowledge, especially regarding salvation. But we can apply that doctrine to all, any and all events in our life. God is omniscient, right? He knows the end from the beginning, the Bible says. But people still have free will. God just knows how people would choose to use that free will beforehand. Job isn't here yet. He doesn't see that God has a purpose. In, um, in what's going on in his life. Um, we get a sense of the struggle in Job's heart in these chapters when he complains to his friends and to God about his circumstances. So he doesn't really see it yet. And there are times in our life we know when we go through difficult things, we don't get it, right? We don't understand. We don't see. We can't even imagine that God has a purpose in what we're going through. And yet, he, and yet he does. So just laying that foundation, kind of looking at those worldviews, as we go through this book, we're going to see at times Job falls into one of the three worldviews. And there, like I said, there's probably many more. But just to understand as we go through that, um, that Job is just like us. He really is. He's just like us. And we see ourselves a lot in the things that he that he goes through, and how he responds, and how he reacts to those things. One thing that that uh, one one verse in Genesis, and then I'll jump into Job chapter seven. One verse in Genesis kind of gives us this idea that God has a plan and a purpose in everything. Remember when um, Joseph. Uh, came before his brothers or his brothers came before him as he was uh, second in command there in Egypt and he had all the power over them and, um, and they had done such, such horrible things to him as a, as a young person and he says to his brothers but as for you, you meant evil against me this is Genesis chapter 50 verse 20 you meant evil against me but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. So we see here that even in all of the things that, J- that Joseph went through, that God had a purpose. God meant it for good. Okay? So we're going to jump in now to Job chapter 7, and um, let's see what his mindset is as we go through these, ver- these verses. So verses 1 through 5, it says, Is there not a time of hard service for man on earth? And not his day, are not his days also like the days of a hired man, like a servant who earnestly desires the shade, and like a hired man who eagerly looks for his wages? So I have been allotted months of futility, and wearisome nights have been appointed to me. When I lie down, I say, when shall I arise and the night be ended? For I've had, I've had my fill of tossing till, da- till dawn. My flesh is caked with worms and dust. My skin is cracked and breaks out afresh. So Job here, again, just laying it all out there for us, uh, complaining through his friends, but really directing it to God. He appeals to the Lord to kind of see the emptiness of his life. Lord, don't you see here what's going on? He speaks about a time of hard service or the days of a hired man in verse 1. You know, this can be likened to um, a man being drafted into the armed services against his will or a a laborer just working, trying to get through the day so he can go home to, to rest. And... He sees really no significance in his daily drudgery, Job. And he wonders why. And it reminds me of Solomon a lot in Ecclesiastes. In verse 11 of chapter 2, Solomon says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no prophet under the sun. So it sounds similar. They have the the same kind of, of mindset, Job and Solomon here. It's hard service, and he doesn't understand what the purpose is. So like Job and Solomon, they both felt like life was kind of meaningless and futile. Both of them, though, remember at this point in Job's life, he he looked at things like Solomon did. Only under the sun, right? Only under the sun. Only on this earthly plane. And we spoke the last time about having an eternal perspective and how that shines a different light on our circumstances. You know, life can seem like a drudgery unless we have a purpose in this life beyond ourselves. And... The fact of the matter is, God has a purpose for us. We just need to step into that which He has already. From the foundation of the world, He's determined a plan and a purpose for each of our lives. Trials can seem overwhelming, right? We all know. Unless we believe that God has a reason for allowing them. And doesn't that soften it just a bit? knowing that God can turn all things together for good to those who love Him. That God does have a plan and a purpose. You know, when Job is expressing himself here, he says in verse 4, When I lie down, I say, When shall I arise that the night be ended? It's like even when he finally gets to rest, it's not restful. When he finally gets to sleep, he tosses and turns in his bed and he's w- waking up saying, when am I going to wake up? I mean, he, in the middle of the night, he's saying, when is dawn going to come to put me out of this misery? And that's supposed to be his rest time, his, his time to, to set things aside. And you know, if you, got, if you had, a, if you had a, a restless night sometimes, sometimes three o'clock in the morning comes around and you say, okay, that's it, I'm getting up. You just can't wait any longer. You just get up because the, the night's just so long. And Deuteronomy 28 67, this is God, is God is pronouncing judgment on the nation for their disobedience. And um, for them, life was meaningless and empty. Uh, just a series of difficult days, longing for them to end, and sleepless nights. Desiring for the morning to finally come, And in Deuteronomy 28:67, it expresses similar things to what Job was saying: "In the morning you shall say, "Oh, that it were evening, your day is long, your day's a drudgery. You can't wait for it to be over." And at evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning because of the fear which terrifies your heart, you know, whether it's just nightmares or just the restless sleep, and because the sight which your eyes shall see. Job was feeling this same thing. His life, he felt like his life was dry and thirsty. And to him, it seemed like God didn't care. But we know he does care, right? We know that when our perspective is one of trust and faith, even when we don't see Him working in our life, or when we're waiting for Him to deliver us out of a trial or through a trial, we know that we can trust in Him. We know He cares for us. Moving on into verses 6 through 10, it says, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle, and are spent without hope. Oh, remember that my life is a breath. My eye will never see again good, again see good. The eye of him who sees me will see me no more. While your eyes are upon me, I shall no longer be. As the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up. He shall never return to his house nor shall his place know him anymore. So, again, Job is is kind of going back and forth here. It seems like he's contradicting himself. Remember, he's in anguish. He's in pain. He's kind of throwing out all of his uh, feelings and emotions. And sometimes they tend to contradict one another. The first couple of verses, he was saying, Oh, the days are so long. And the nights are so long. In these verses, it says, "It says here, my days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle." Uh, remember, my life is a breath. So it sounds like he's back and forth. I, I really think that the the anguish of his circumstances are just um, causing him just not to think straight. It says, "It says here." Um, He couldn't wait for his labor to come to an end and his sleepless nights to be over. Uh, The first few verses, here he's saying that he feels like it's it's going by quickly. Life is just flying by. But what he's really saying here is it's going by without any meaning or significance. And you know, sometimes life goes by fast. But if there's something significant in your life, if there's something meaningful, if there's a purpose in your life, it may go by fast, but it will see, seem really fulfilling to you. And I think that's really where Job is at. He, he feels like there's nothing fruitful, nothing fulfilling in his life. And so it's just flying by. And verse 9 here kind of gives us another insight into Job's mindset and Job's limited understanding. Remember, he was probably uh, around at the same time as Abraham was and they had a very limited understanding, especially of the afterlife and you know he speaks about that here um, he as the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so he who goes down to the grave does not come up it's he's speaking sounds like he's speaking more of like annihilation than it is of an afterlife and um that's 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 kind of a uh, some religions actually promote that, for, especially for unbelievers, that the unbelievers are annihilated, they don't suffer in hell, and the believers will go on to live in eternity with, with God. Um, and it seems like Job isn't even sure uh, if, he's a, if he's one of the good or not here, but he's saying, he's saying the cloud disappears and vanishes away, so when I die, that's it, I'm done. But it's a it's a limited. Remember, he's got a limited understanding of the afterlife, um, just like all of those in the ancient times. And you know, we still have a lot of questions about the afterlife. I know Pastor Joe, I think, mentioned uh, Randy Alcorn's book uh, Heaven. Yeah, and um, we we actually have a copy in the library. If anyone wants to borrow it, I'm going through it now um, again just to see um, all the all the beauty that we don't understand uh, in, this after, in the afterlife. And a lot of people say, oh, we can never understand. We can never, we can never grasp it. But there's a lot of Scripture that gives us a great picture of what it's really like. And I think it really would be worth it for, for, um, for you to take a look at that, at that book because he really breaks it down um, scripturally. They didn't have that back then. they didn't have that you know the the fullness of the revelation, so you'll you'll look at a lot of the um, Old Testament books and and many of them will just have this limited, very limited view. even David in the Psalms has a limited view of the afterlife. but we know that God has something planned glorious for us who are in Christ, amen. Presence in eternal presence uh, with God. So he continues here in these next few verses in complaining to God in verses 11 through 16. It says, Therefore I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a sea serpent that you set a guard over me when I say, my bed will comfort me. My couch will ease my complaint. Then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions so that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I would not live forever. Let me alone, for my days are but a breath. He's all over the place here. And he, he's, he's saying, God, leave, let me alone. I can't take any more. And uh, he says in verse 11, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I think we can learn from, from this. I think there are some times that we need to just, whether we say it out loud to others or believe it in our hearts, I think we need to take a check sometimes when we're going through a really difficult time, a trial, a tragedy, whatever it happens to be that we don't speak too swiftly, too quickly about what's going on. You know, people say that after a tragedy or maybe the death of a a spouse or something, not to make any decisions for a year. Let things settle in so that you don't do things in, in a rash way, you know, that you might regret later on. And I think Job here, you know, he says, I won't restrain my mouth. I think... It's a lesson for us not to do that, not to do that, to be, to be more thoughtful, to, to, to seek the Lord in those things because we don't always understand it. He's crying out. He's using words like anguish and bitterness to describe the state he finds himself in. And he says here God is treating me like I'm some type of a dangerous sea serpent or 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 even even the sea he says am I a sea or a sea serpent so he says both of them can be dangerous at times both of them need to be watched over you know when there's a storm approaching it's you know you go on the weather channel and they watch the storm and they every Every five minutes they give you an update. You watch those things. You watch those dangerous things because you want to be prepared. He says here God is looking over him like he's dangerous. Why, God, are you, are you hovering over me? Why are you watching me so closely? He doesn't feel the love of God here. And that's, that's I, I, I feel for Job. I really do. In this, Job is comparing himself to a raging sea in the middle of a storm that needs to be constantly monitored. It reminds me of um, you know, David's beautiful Psalm 139, which speaks about the intimacy of our relationship with the Lord. And it says in verse 7 of that Psalm Where can I go from your spirit? or where can i flee from your presence you know if you if you if you say those that verse in another way it sounds like it sounds like you're desperate god where can i go from your spirit where can i flee from your presence it's like you're trying to get away from god right but david i think was speaking here of the intimacy of god's relationship with us God, you're you're with me all the time. How comforting that is. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I flee from your presence? Thank you, Lord. There's nowhere that I can go that you're not with me. Isn't that beautiful? It just depends on how you look at it or how you say it. That verse should reassure us that God is always with us. Some look at that verse with fear. Ooh, I can't get away from God. He knows everything. We shouldn't look at that. We will look at God's relationship with us in that way. Right? We should look at it as a comforting thing. The security that we have in a relationship with a loving God. Job here, as as he's going down, he has several more questions for God. And, I think a lot of us probably have said one time or another, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God such and such. Or, or, I, don't think we're going, I don't really think we're going to. I think for a lot of reasons. I think one of the reasons is that it won't matter at that point. Another reason is that the Bible is very clear that we're going to know things in, the, in eternity that we don't know now. In 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve, Paul speaks about this. He says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I am known. That's, that's reassuring. Now, we, don't, we won't get all the answers on this side of eternity, right? But we will, we will know all things that are necessary in eternity. In, in 1 John 3, 2, just, just to know that he, he wants us to know everything that we need to. It says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. When we are with Jesus... We will know everything that we need to know. God will not leave us stranded in those questions that we have now, like that Job is asking or that anybody asks. We won't have those questions. He asks in verse 17 and 18, kind of wondering why God even considers him. He says, What is man that you should exalt him? that you should set your heart on him, that you should visit him every morning and test him every moment? Why, why do you consider me, God? Who am I? Who are we? You know, I think, You know. And it reminds me, David asked a similar question in the Psalms a couple of times. He said in, in Psalm 8, verse 4, What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? I think both of these instances, Job and David and and we too, can recognize our relative insignificance, especially compared with God's majesty, right? Yet God sees us differently. You know, we may say, God, what do you see in me? Why do you consider me? Why do you think of me? He has the hairs on our head numbered. He, he keeps our tears in a bottle. He knows us so intimately. Why? We might question that. But God sees us differently than that, which is beautiful. Because when we're in Christ, we're what? We're a new creation. Right? 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God sees us cleansed and new when we're born again. He sees us righteous, Second Corinthians 5:21, "For He made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In Christ, God sees us righteous. Not because we are righteous in and of ourselves, but because He has exchanged His righteousness for our sin. How awesome is that? See, God sees us differently. God sees us as His children for those who believe. Right? John one twelve says, But as many as received Him to them, He gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in His name. That's an intimacy of relationship and that's a love that as a parent you know you love your kids so that's something that that's how God sees us like Job we don't always see that we don't always realize it we don't recognize it all the time and sometimes when we're going through a difficult time we may think God doesn't love us May, or we may wonder why he's even considering us. Isn't there someone else, Lord, that you want to set your sights on? But he does. He does. He sees us all. And then, kind of closing up here in these last few verses, asking more questions. This, is kind of, this, was, this chapter was filled with questions that Job was asking. And, you know, before he was asking, you know, God, why are you considering me? Who am I? Now I think it's more in a negative sense than it was before. He says, how long will you, will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your target? Remember last time he felt like God was targeting him for a trial. You have set me as your target so that I am a burden to myself. Why then do you not pardon my transgression? In other words, God, if I've sinned, just forgive me and let's move on. Take away my iniquity, for now I will lie down in the dust and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. So, Job's back and forth. Before, he was kind of wondering, you know, why do you even think about me? Why do you consider me, God? And now, and now he's wondering why God just doesn't leave him alone. In a negative sense, he's wondering why God considers him. How long? How many times have we asked, how long, God? How long? Our pain isn't ending. Our trial seems to be going on forever. And God, you don't seem to be hearing my prayers. We've all asked that question, how long? But notice here, Job has a little bit of an incorrect theology in verse 20 and 21. He's connecting God's forgiveness with a trial-free life. In other words, okay, God, all you need to do is just... Okay, if you forgive that sin, whatever it is, even if I don't know it, just forgive that sin, let's move on, my trials will go away. But we know that that's not true. We know that that's not true. Many of us might think that, right? Many of us might, every once in a while, that may pass through our minds. That God, if you just, you know, whatever I've done, I'm asking for forgiveness, Forgive me. And he, and he will. He will. We know. The, the Bible tells us. If we, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We know He's going to do that. We know He's forgiven us. We know He went to the cross to take our sin. We know that. But sometimes we have a limited view of God especially when we're going through difficult times. And I think we have a limited view sometimes of the fallen nature of this world and how against God it can be. And we, we sometimes get caught up in that, too. As Christians, we're going to go through trials. We're going to go through pain. We know it. We're going to go through difficulties. And yet, when we know and believe He's forgiven us, we can put our trust in Him for our lives, because God's promises
0: are always true, always true. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey.